All right, if you have a Bible with you, and if you don't, there's some red pew Bibles in the chairs in front of you, would you turn with me to uh, two different places? The first is 2 Samuel chapter 8, and the other is Romans chapter 6. If you're using our red Story Church Bibles, 2 Samuel 8 is on page 148, and Romans 6 is on page 549. Um, Like I said, we're finishing this uh, little series that I've called The Radiance of Jesus. And like a diamond, like a diamond ring, as you turn it, the light shines through it and is illuminated uh, in different ways. Every time you turn a diamond, you see its glory and radiance shine uniquely. And so we've been looking at Jesus like he's a diamond. We're, we're slowly turning him and looking at him through three different perspectives. Uh, we looked at Jesus as the prophet, Jesus as the priest, and now this morning we're concluding by looking at Jesus, the king. And in each of these series uh, sermons, I've been um, following the same structure where we're looking at a passage from the Old Testament and a passage from the New Testament and learning from uh, like a 50,000-foot view, what are these offices, prophet, priest, king, and how does Jesus fulfill them? So we're following the structure. Why do we need a king? How is Jesus the true king? And what does that mean for us today? So why do we need a king? How is Jesus the true king? And what does that mean for us today? Um, So we'll read these two passages and pray and get into those questions. We're looking at 2 Samuel chapter 8. We're going to look at verse 1 and then drop down uh, to verse 13 through 15. (coughs) This is about King David. And after this, David defeated the Philistines and subdued them. And David took Methagama out of the hand of the Philistines. And then dropping down to verse 13, And David made a name for himself when he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. Then he put up garrisons in Edom. Throughout all of Edom, he put up garrisons. And all the Edomites became David's servants. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. So David reigned over all of Israel, and David administered justice and equity to all of his people. Now let's jump ahead to Romans chapter 6. We're going to begin at verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it teaches us and reveals to us who you are and of your grace through Jesus. We thank you that it's a unified story. We pray this morning, would you speak to us and show us what it means to follow Jesus the King? Spirit, would you move in our hearts? I pray this morning in Jesus' name, amen. Again, I apologize for this unrelenting cough that I've had now for what feels like two months. Why do we need a king? We don't understand kings and the monarchy very well in the U.S. I think shows like The Crown have made our interest in the British monarchy pretty uh, high. And, And in light of the recent death of Queen Elizabeth and the anticipation of a new king, Uh, Our interest is pretty high, but we don't know much about kings. Sarah and I just saw Hamilton over the weekend, and the the king character is such a caricature of the king. And I think that that displays our distance from any sense of respect or understanding of the king or of the monarchy. We just don't understand it. So this is an important question. Why do we need a king? Because here in the U.S., we have rebelled against kings, and we need to know, why do we need a king? Well, to put it simply, kings, uh, in the Old Testament for God's people, kings were God's appointed means through which his people would flourish. So kings were appointed in order for the people of God to flourish, Um, after Israel was uh, brought out of Egypt, it was this wandering mass of thousands and thousands of people under 12 different tribes. And they crossed over into the promised land and began to take territory and establish themselves, but they had no king in the land. So they could only flourish to an extent. But then we see they raised up a king. They prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, give us a king like all the other nations. And the Lord gave them a king. And the king led the people into flourishing by really by doing two things. This was the job description of the king. They were to conquer the people's enemies, and they were to remain faithful to the Lord. And the best example of that is King David. We looked at the life of David last year, Uh, so here's just a real quick uh, synopsis. King David is the best example of this king. He was a great warrior. He was a great leader in battle. 
After defeating Goliath as such a young kid, he grew up on the battlefield. He led the armies into battle, victory after victory. And then as king, we just read from 2 Samuel 8, the Lord gave him victory in every one of his battles. He was a great king. He established peace in the nation. And he did all this while following the Lord. Yeah, we know he was not perfect, but he was faithful. He was, as Scripture tells us, a man after God's own heart. Deuteronomy uh, chapter 17 includes this stipulation in the law uh, uh, for God's people that when they would appoint a king, the king's first job was to go to the temple, take a copy of the law, and create for himself his own handwritten copy that would be his to read and meditate on. And David did just that. Have you ever played the game, uh, I don't know what it's called, but it goes something like this. If you were stranded on a desert island and you could only have five books or five movies or five whatever for the rest of your life, what would it be? Any suggestions? What's one of your favorite books or movies that you'd keep with you for Desert Island? The, okay, the Bible, Russ. Good answer. Well, that was David's answer. That was David's answer. David took this to heart. What'd you say? Yeah. That was David's answer. He treasured the word of God. He wrote Psalm 1 that says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. King David loved the Lord. He treasured the law. King David was a leader that the people could follow. He was great in battle, and he remained faithful to the Lord. He led his people in justice and righteousness. I think this is because he understood that he was put in this position. He was given this authority to represent the goodness and the righteousness of God. The very one who wrote Psalm 1 also wrote Psalm 23 that reminds us that the Lord is our shepherd. Even great King David understood that he was a sheep being led by another. What a great example for us today of leadership. Committed to the word of God, humbly trusting in the Lord's provision. Husbands and fathers, I think this is a great model for us as we lead our households, parents, as we seek to lead our children and raise them up in the Lord, are we relying on the truth of God's word and trusting in his provision? Managers, teachers, medical professionals, grandparents, what a great model of leadership that we have in David. Men and women in the church, future elders and deacons. My, one of my goals in 2023 is to move us towards uh, the process of electing our own leaders. 
We do well to learn from David this example of leadership, rooted in the word, trusting in the Lord. Why do we need a king? Because God's appointed means through which his people flourish were kings, were leaders. That's why we need a king. Now let's ask, how is Jesus the true king? I think we looked back in October when we started the book of Matthew, we looked at the genealogy of Jesus. And we saw how even Matthew begins his story of Jesus by showing us the family tree of David and how uh, Jesus comes from the line of David. He is a king born as a son of David. Later in Jesus' life, his follower Peter will say, Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the appointed and anointed one of God. Jesus is the king. And when Jesus is arrested, when he's put on trial, this is their accusation. You claim to be the king of the Jews. They even put a purple robe around his naked body. They pressed a crown of thorns upon his head. Jesus was the king. Early followers of Jesus began saying, Jesus is the Lord, in direct opposition to their neighbors that said, no, Caesar is Lord. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the King. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one that they were waiting for. But he was so much more than what they expected. Yes, he was called the Christ. He was called the Messiah because they wanted a ruler like King David, a ruler that would defeat their enemies, specifically Rome. But Jesus exceeds their expectations as a king. And we need to know this today, that Jesus far exceeds our expectations for a leader. You see, today, in our, especially in the U.S., our, uh, our polarized political moment, Jesus is often co-opted into those political movements to be a champion of their platforms, to say, well, you can't vote for them because Jesus says this. Or Jesus was about this, and so you need to be about this too. Both conservatives and liberals do this. But the problem is when we look at the life and the teaching of Jesus, when we look at what his followers do in light of his kingship, well, it far exceeds those expectations. Jesus and his kingdom is, is too conservative for conservatives. Is too liberal for liberals. One author says this, that the, 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 uh, the social ethic of the kingdom of Christ includes this, this list. It is multi-ethnic and multiracial. It is committed to caring for the poor and the marginalized. It is non-retaliatory. It's committed to forgiveness. It's deeply opposed to abortion and infanticide and is revolutionary sexual ethic rooted in God's created order. You can't pin that down on one platform or another. You can't pigeonhole Jesus into our polemic. 
He's a much greater king than anyone we've ever met. But more than that, Jesus is the true king because he has done what no mere human king can do. Jesus is able to conquer our greatest enemy. He can deal with our greatest obstacle. That is, Jesus can take charge even over our hearts and change us from within. Kings and leaders throughout the generations and their commands, their rules, they can only bring external compliance. They have no power over the heart. They cannot change the hearts of their people. Look, ask any parent, do you have power to change the hearts of your kids? I I was very much reminded of that this last two weeks, driving in the car, long hours with kids in the back fighting. I'll say, you better stop it or I'm going to pull this car over and come back there. That didn't change their hearts. Any parent knows that you can set up boundaries. You can insist on household rules. You can institute a system of rewards and punishments. You can encourage good behavior. You can introduce discipline. But at the end of the day, no amount of parenting is able to effectively deal with the internal condition of a child's heart. And aren't we all children at heart? This is why we're going to sing Psalm 146 during the Lord's Supper that says this, do not put your hope in the nations. Do not put your hope in the kings. Trust in the only one who opens eyes and sets the prisoners free. We look too often to leaders of this world on the left and the right to, fall, to solve the problems of this world. Every election cycle, we put so much faith and hope into our particular candidate, each of us hoping to one degree or another that if our person is put in power, they will bring about real change. But policies and platforms can do nothing against the problem of sin. No earthly power or ruler is ever able to open the eyes of our heart and set us free from the enslavement that we have to sin. But praise the Lord that Jesus is no mere earthly king. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, God and man who alone is able to rescue us from our greatest enemy and establish peace and prosperity and bring about the flourishing that we need. Jesus is the true king. Amen? Amen. What does that mean for us today? What does it mean to follow King Jesus today? As we follow King Jesus, we will see that we have victory over both the presence of sin and the power of sin in our lives. That's what Romans 6 is about. Seeing that we have victory over the presence of and power of sin in our lives. First, I'm going to talk about 
victory over the presence of sin. Sin is present. Every day we feel its effects. Every hour we're tempted. If we're honest, every minute it's there. We exist in this battle. There is a war raging. Paul himself will talk about that internal tension and war, that desire to to do the right thing and yet not doing it, to know what to do but feeling unable to do it, to to say, I don't want to do what I'm doing. I want to do what I'm not doing. It is a present war and struggle. But Romans 6 teaches us that for those who follow Jesus, who follow King Jesus, you have undergone a regime change. There is a change of who is in charge. There is someone new in charge of your life. As Paul will elsewhere say, we have been delivered from the dominion of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. In Romans 6, Paul will say in three different times that a shift has occurred. He says, once we were enslaved to sin, but now we've been set free. Once we were dead in our trespasses, but now we are alive in Christ to live for God. Once we were under the law, but now we are under grace. Friends, we have undergone a regime change. There is someone new in charge. He has set us free from the enslavement that we have to sin. And therefore, we can have victory over it today. I love this illustration. In, in World War II, D-Day, when they stormed the beaches of Normandy, it was a decisive victory for the Allies. It, it turned the tide of the war. From then on, the war was decided. It was a crushing blow to the enemy. And after D-Day, all of the soldiers fought with this sense of hope and assurance that the war is coming to an end. Yes, the war rages on, but victory is ours. They fought in light of D-Day, looking ahead to V-Day, Victory Day. Friends, that is you and I on this side of eternity. Jesus has dealt a decisive blow and crushed the head of the serpent on the cross. He has vanquished us. He has set us free from its enslavement. And so now we fight against our sin, not as someone who's going to lose, but no, with the assurance of eternal victory. Friends, V-Day lies ahead. That's why Paul says, therefore, consider yourselves dead to sin. Reckon yourselves dead. It's it's this Greek word logizomai, which means come to the conclusion, reach the resolution, believe it to be absolute fact. You have died to your sin in Christ. This changes the way that we make war against our sin. We resist it not from the position of a soldier fighting to win the battle, but from the position of a soldier who's fighting because the war is already over. But not only does Jesus give us victory over the presence of sin, we also see that ultimately we have in Christ victory over the power of sin. How does he do this? How does he accomplish this victory? 
Romans 6, 6 tells us that King Jesus is victorious over the power of sin in our lives by his crucifixion. By his death, by his crucifixion, our body of sin is brought to nothing. How? Because the power of sin in our lives is that it brings condemnation on us. The power of sin in our lives is that we stand guilty under the law of God. But on the cross, Jesus willingly absorbs in himself that punishment, that penalty for our sin. He takes our place as a substitute. He dies the death that we have earned because of our sin. And he died in our place because he took the penalty that we deserve. He absorbed the wrath of God against our sin. Friends, sin has no more power over you. He has taken that away. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because on the cross, Jesus died for you. This is what our King Jesus did. He gave himself for us. He didn't come into this world to be served. He didn't come in this world to lord it over us. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for us. You know, in light of Queen Elizabeth's death, there's been a lot of reflection on her life and her career and her reign as queen. And she is a, a wonderful leader. One of the first examples of her leadership that the whole kingdom heard was when she gave her first public address at age 21 on her birthday, broadcasted on the radio for millions to hear. And in that message, after World War II had ended, she says this to her people, if we all go forward together with an unwavering faith, a high courage, and a quiet heart, we shall be able to make of this ancient commonwealth, which we all love so dearly, an even grander thing, more free, more prosperous, more happy, and more powerful influence for good in the world than it has been in the greatest days of our forefathers. To accomplish this, we must give nothing less than our whole selves. There is a motto which has been borne by many of my ancestors, a noble model, I serve. Those words were an inspiration to many bygone heirs of the throne when they made their nightly dedication as they came to manhood. I cannot do quite as they did. But through the inventions of science, I can do now what was not possible for any of them. I can make my solemn act of dedication with a whole empire listening. I should like to make that dedication now. It is very simple. I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service and the service of our great imperial family to which we all belong. Queen Elizabeth is remembered for her unwavering loyalty and commitment to her people, her self-sacrifice for her people. She learned how to lead because she trusted in her king who ruled over her, her savior Jesus, who taught her, who teaches us today, that he did not come into the world to be served, but to serve and to give his life 
as a ransom for many. He showed unwavering loyalty to his father in coming into this world to die on the cross. He showed commitment to his people by suffering in their place. And he displayed self-sacrifice by taking upon himself the punishment for our sins. He has taken away the power of sin over us. That victory is ours. And in light of that victory, we now fight as followers of King Jesus against every evil in this world and in our own lives. Friends, Jesus is a king that we can follow because he has given up his life in service of our salvation. Let's pray.